0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful uh, being with you and um, being able to share something that's been on my heart um, and what I believe that God would like us as a church community to be aware of uh, this morning. Um, Just what was said this morning about in the prayer meeting, about new brooms. And while I was there and as I come to church in the mornings on a Sunday, I, I, I often ask myself, why am I not out playing golf? except that I don't play golf and I don't own golf clubs, but it could be any other activity which people like to do on a Sunday. And the reason is because I'm here to meet with God and I'm here to fellowship with brothers and sisters in unity and to come together uh, as a church redeemed by Jesus and to hear his His word. And this morning even as um, that was shared, it was a sense of God is speaking. It's not just somebody who's got some picture of brooms and they bring it and say, well... Um, I've got this picture of Brooms. As a church, we need to sit up and go, let's evaluate that thing. Is that something which which God is saying to us? And if it is, how does it apply to us as a church? And what do we do with that thing? Because if we're not doing that, then we might as well call ourselves the Sarepta Country Club and, and put a little mashy course out the back here. Um, so as I come to preach, I, I also think about this thing about what God is saying to us as a church. And uh, I know our family is fairly new. We've only been around here for six months since the end of last year. And it's wonderful having Joshua, our older son, back from Stellenbosch. He arrived back yesterday. So as a father, I'm feeling full, which is wonderful. Um, and my other son is on Curzio Choir Tour, so by the middle of the week we'll be as a family, which is wonderful. But being as a, a, a family here in Sarepta, a spiritual family, I think back and I say, what is God saying to us as a church? And I've thought back on the different messages so far that I've heard uh, while I've been here. And I think God is challenging us. And that word about old brooms comes in at a time about what God is challenging us about. You see, I've sat and chatted to some people. I'm going a bit off, off topic, but that's fine. I'll come back again. As I've chatted to some people, I've heard things about Sarepta, which has excited me. And I've heard things where people have said, you know, we were the first charismatic church, in inverted commas, in this area. So once upon a time, it seemed like when you spoke about Sarepta, people would go, ooh, those are those weirdos, you know, those, those spiritual weirdos. And, um, it would seem as if there's a rich history that comes through in a church and a body like this. And the question is, what's happening now? Um, I was going to share it later, and it comes up in my sermon, but there's a man called Paul Tournier. I don't know whether he's alive anymore, because when he wrote this book, he'd been a, a psychiatrist for 50 years. he just retired, and it's a, quite an old book. A Swiss man, and a Christian man, and he, in this book, I paraphrase it, he wrote something like this. When your golden years are in the past, it's a tragic thing. And now he's obviously talking on a human level, but let's think of that as a spiritual level. If our golden years are in the past, we're in a very sad place. And so that's something that I always challenge myself to say, God, where's our golden years? Because surely they must be where we're going towards, because God is a moving God. He's a forward-moving God. On the back of this, he says the following. Listen to how beautifully this is put. God guides us when we are on the way, not when we're standing still, just as one cannot steer a car unless it is moving. Now, the church is known as the way initially, and God guides us when we're on the way. We're walking. We can't be standing still and saying, God, well, hey, take us somewhere, because he's going to kick our butt and say, well, move, and I'll direct you. And so that's a challenge to say, well, where is God directing us as a church, as Rector?" And we've heard that amazing message right at the beginning of the year, that apostolic message about downpipes of grace and mercy being the perichoresis of coming together and going out. And even today, the, the Blackman family are out. We've sent them off, and they're in, in Gauteng, ministering. And in a sense, that's a bit of part of what it is. We come in, we go out, we come in, we go out. And that's, it's wonderful to see that busy being worked out. We've also had a message, uh, I think it was at a prayer meeting, about chains and padlocks, which I shared with the last time I preached. I don't think we need to leave that behind. Here's my challenge. I shared it with you the last time I preached, and I thought, we're in a place of God wanting to release chains and padlocks. Okay, does that mean we forget it now because now we've moved on? I don't think so. God works and puts things together in, in an, a message. And so let's not forget something that was said four or five months ago because it's all part of God's message to us as we move forward. At a prayer meeting, likewise, there was a message about leaves falling and about new buds opening on trees. How does that fit in with chains and padlocks? How does that fit in with downpipes? There's a new thing. God is a new thing for us here at Serepto. New brooms. He's got a new thing. There's buds opening, golden years of something that God wants to do in amongst us and through us out into the community in which we live. And then there was an amazing message a few months back, well no, weeks back rather, about David's mighty men in the cave of Adullam. Do you remember that message? Man, that hit me. Where there was a sense of, um, being refugees and not just political refugees, but spiritual refugees. And being in the cave of Adullam where you escape. And David's mighty men gathered in that cave, but they needed to get out. Because if they stayed in the cave, then they were like refugees who were spiritual refugees. And that challenged me. Chains being broken, downpipes, new buds, spiritual refugees, mighty men and women of God. Two weeks back, there was a message about new ways of seeing old truths. And there was that beautiful, I forget the couple who came from Egypt, them, the Bristos. Amazing couple. Just saying how taking into that context, there are uh, new ways of seeing old truths. And in that, something else which was really amazing was a chain of events. And he spoke about how God doesn't always act in one dramatic bang, although we love it when he does. But there's a chain of events that moves down the path. And sometimes we're part of that chain somewhere here and sometimes we're here. And sometimes it's a chain of events in a person's life where they are moving on a spiritual journey. And then Amy last week kind of picked up on that as well in her own personal life where she spoke about her journey. And it wasn't a chain of events leading to salvation, but rather a chain of events and a pathway leading to godliness and leading to greater intimacy with God. And so today I want to talk about a chain of events, in a sense, and I want to illustrate it um, by somebody who, in a way, is kind of like a bit of a a hero for me in the Bible. We all have heroes, right? My big hero when I was a boy was Bruce Fordyce. I once beat him in a marathon, by the way. I love to tell the story. It was the Cape Town Marathon, and he was obviously just going for a jog, and I was going full out. But he he pulled off to go uh, to the toilet. And uh, just before Simonstown, and there were two Ks to go, and I saw him, and I was aching like mad, and I ran, and I think I beat him by about 30 seconds. So he was my hero, and the reason I tell the story is because he's my hero, and I love the fact that I actually once beat him, even though he wasn't racing, and I was, but nonetheless. So God is calling us to greater intimacy as a church, and to a greater knowledge of him, and the result of that has to be action. Hear that? Greater knowledge and greater intimacy with God has to result in greater action. If it doesn't, then these wonderful times of of soaking worship or other things just becomes a self-satisfying, feel-good, it's all about me. Rubbish, it's not. It's all about God. Because God is God and God is amazing and God is awesome. And if we come into his presence in these times and our eyes are opened to this amazing God, and through that, we realize who we are. And through that, we get greater intimacy with him. What is the end result? We cannot stay in the cave of Adullam. We have to move out as mighty men and women of God because that's who God has made us. Serepto, turn to the person next to you and say, God has made you a mighty man and woman of God. Do that. All right, now I don't often do that, but anyway. So, maybe if we can have the first slide, just my title, and um, I don't often also use slides, but my wife said to me, maybe you need to do so, have some slides, so I've got a few to start my message off, but I've entitled this message, The Development of Man, and Nicodemus the Pharisee, he is my, one of my um, spiritual heroes, one of my uh, mighty men of faith in, in the Bible, and you'll see this chain of events and journey as it unfolds this, this morning. Now, If you go to Google, which I did, and you type in there the development of man, uh, what you get out is the next slide. Now, I chose this one because it's a bit of a spoof on it, a joke, obviously. But if you type in and you think of the development of man, you come to this Darwinian sort of rubbish of the ape becoming a man. Um, Now, this morning, I don't want to come with the Darwinian message because it's rubbish. But for me, the development of man is becoming more connected with God. As we become more like him, sanctification, that's the development of man. And when I was reading the story of Nicodemus or, or a few years back, I saw this happening in a person in the Bible, and it really challenged me as I saw it. Because I always saw him as a baddie. I mean, he was a Pharisee, right? So they're the, like the bad guys. Sadducees, Pharisees, those guys. You know, oh, did you ever sing that song, I don't want to be a Pharisee? There's that one. I don't want to be a sad, sadducee, sadducee. I just want to be a lamb. We used to sing that. So in my head, I had this idea of he's the Pharisee. He's the guy who, who wandered around and uh, sort of tried to came at night and all the rest of it. And then one day, God used three little monkeys um, to impact my, my life and this man, Nicodemus. And I'll show you how they fit together. So I had a great aunt, Auntie Dolly. She was one of these wonderful matriarchal figures in my life. And she used to live... Uh, alone in a flat, and I used to go and visit her, and her flat was full of interesting things. For a little boy, there were display cabinets with these Spanish dolls—you know, these things that were, f- at one stage, were popular. And there were these funny um, door stoppers, crocheted things. There was even a bottle of brandy under her bed, which, which I'm told, was for medicinal purposes—a hot toddy. But nowadays, I think think otherwise. But the thing that fascinated me most about Auntie Dolly's flat was these three little monkeys. And they had their ears covered, their eyes covered, and their mouth covered. And you know you what I'm talking about. Uh, See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Now, there they are, the original monkeys, just for your edification. These are in a temple in Japan, and those three monkeys came off that original carving. Now, I see them more like the next slide. There we go. For me, that's a bit cuter and nicer. And that's the one I I think we can just leave that slide up, because I'm going to hang with that one. Now... I saw these three monkeys, and I was told by people the reason why these monkeys are like that is because they're trying to speak no evil, they don't want to hear anything that's evil, they don't want to see anything that's evil, and so they're blocking off their their senses to that. But as I thought about it, I thought, there's a problem here. Because in blocking off their senses, they're also not allowing good to be heard. They're also not allowing good to be spoken, and they're also not allowing themselves to be open to see good. And so they have blocked themselves off. And the challenge for me was how often we as people are like that. Out of good intention, we try and kind of block ourselves off from the evil that comes. But in doing that, we should actually be opening ourselves up to allow the good to be spoken in us. So I'm going to turn to John chapter 3 to start off with. And here's where we first meet Nicodemus. So I'll read for you. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin, the 70. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And I could just see him. He's confused. He's asking. Jesus turns to him and says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever come, gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And I'll stop there, and everybody goes, no, John 3.16, that's the next verse. Everybody expects you to say, for God so loved, but I'll stop there. Now, our challenge is, when we come to the Scriptures, is to put ourselves in the place of people like Nicodemus. As a person, who was he, and how did he understand the words that Jesus spoke to him? You see, we read this with 2,000 years of biblical history behind us and interpretation. We read it with it written down. It wasn't written down when Nicodemus spoke to Jesus. So we have that plus the fulfillment and all the rest, and we look back on it and go, oh, come on, man. You for something and you call yourself a Pharisee. You're like a spiritual leader. But Nicodemus wasn't in that place. And So our challenge is to say, what would it have been like for that person at that time And what did the message mean for that person who was listening to it? And so the question I have with Nicodemus and when I look at him is, what sort of mind space was this man in? What environment did he live in? Uh, How would he have seen and heard that message? And at the time, the place was in great political turmoil. I say at the time, gosh. Um, 2,000 years back, and I'm thinking now it's Syria and and that area. Has it ever not been? But but Nicodemus came out of a time where that area had, had years of political turmoil. There were the Babylonians who came in and, and took the Jewish people. Then there was Persia. And a few months back, I preached about the book of Ruth. And that, that was set in Persia with the, the people who had remained and had not gone back with Ezra and Nehemiah and the others. Then Alexander the Great pitched up and he took over the whole area and he tried to Hellenize things and he tried to do away with culture and make it very Greek. And then Alexander the Great died, and he didn't have sons, so he had a problem. So he gave his, his territory to generals, um, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And Ptolemy was more; um, uh, he didn't, re- he wasn't so harsh as the Seleucids. But then the Seleucids who were in Syria wanted access to the coast, and so they there was more um, war there. And then when they came in, they tried to stamp out all of Judaism. So this was all which preceded. This is between the testaments. If you look at the Old and the New Testament, this is what's happening in that time, and so they s- try to stamp out Judaism in the area. And they there was a, one of the the Selicies was Antiochus the and he um, brought himself as a pit- like like the um, god himself, and he tried to um, get a sacrifice of a pig on the Jewish temple. And then there was an uprising, and Metatius, the priest said, "No, we can't do this." And somebody else said, no, he'd do it. So that guy, Antetius, killed that, that person and the official. And then you have Maccabeus, the hammer. Um, and there was this uprising of the Maccabees. And they um, got control again. And then in about 164 BC, the temple was cleansed. And so we have the, the Festival of Lights, or Hanukkah, which commemorates that time. And so coming out of this, you've got this... this um, great turmoil and uncertainty. And there were two groups that emerged, religious-type groups. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, in, in, in effect, um, were not really spiritual. They were more a political group. And they had control of the Sanhedrin and, they, and the temple, and they were the priests. But they politically aligned themselves with whoever was in power. So they were opportunists. And it's quite interesting when you read about them. It's, people reckon they come from the line of Zadok, David's priest. But they, had, they didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the supernatural. Um, so, in fact, it was a bit like, well, let's party now, because when you die, well, hey, that's the end of it anyway. Um, and these were the guys who were very powerful, and they ran the Sanhedrin or the Council of Seventy at the time. So they were anti-supernaturalists, and Jesus obviously clashed with them. And you can imagine Jesus entering into their world and saying, I'm the truth and the life, and they're going, what? So they were very anti-him, and they disappeared. The second group, who was the Pharisees, and Nicodemus is one of them, actually started off as a group with a pure heart. And so about 135 B.C., in all of this turmoil, there were a group of people, Jewish people, who said, we're longing for the kingdom to come. We're looking for the Messiah. And so we're going to prepare ourselves for that. And the way in which we're going to prepare ourselves for that is to separate ourselves, parash, the Pharisees, that's where the word comes from, and we're going to then um, create a pure community who is going to usher in the kingdom when it comes. So in a sense, they were like the ancient renewal movement, one of the first ancient renewal movements. But here's the problem. You see, they blocked off their senses, just like those monkeys. So they created a structure which they said, this is pure, we're going to follow this. And then they kept adding other things, kept adding other things, kept adding other things, until they eventually... What started out as a movement which was um, seeking life ended up a movement with death. New brooms need to come in and sweep sometimes. And so these Pharisees um, didn't really, you know, Jesus didn't clash with them so much about what they believed all the time. It was more about how they lived and the extra stuff that they added on to people's lives. And they, Nicodemus was one of these people. So he comes to Jesus and at night, and he addresses Jesus as an equal. Now, that seems like it's, it's quite a, a flattering thing for him to do. But actually, he didn't quite understand who Jesus was. So he, he greeted Jesus as an equal. And in those days, when you followed a certain school, like Paul was out of Gamaliel, then you would be associated with that. Um, but Jesus cuts right to the, the chase. And he says to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, Nicodemus, no doubt was expecting that he would see the kingdom of God. Because after all, he's a Pharisee. They were, they were separating themselves in order to usher in the kingdom of God. So that would have been something quite shocking for Nicodemus, something quite strange to what he he'd believed. And it's hit right at the heart of the Pharisees. And so Jesus says, it's not about the rules. It's not about your lineage. There's a new thing coming here. There's a new broom happening. There's a new message but these guys had blocked off their senses, and they were not able to receive that new message. And Jesus is saying, you need to be born again. The word in, in Greek, anathen, is born from above. So born again. And I actually prefer that, that straight um, translation. You need to be born from above. And Nicodemus was struggling with this. And I feel for this guy. You see, at this point, I would have scoffed at him and said, oh, what an arrogant guy. You know, and he's, he's, but actually... When I look at who he is and where he comes from and the space that he's operating in, I almost want to say to him, come on, Nicodemus, come on, open your ears, listen, take your hands away. Um, but years and years of culture and, and upbringing is very difficult to, to break. And so his response is, well, how can this be? And he's, he's struggling with the physical and spiritual and the intertwining of them and, and how those connect. And Jesus said, but you, Israel's teacher... And if you read back, Joel and the other prophets said, you're going to get a new heart. Try and put those things together. And and I look at Nicodemus and I say, were his motives good? I think they were. You see, he'd even come to Jesus off his own bat, going, talk to me, teacher, you, you know, what are you saying? So his motives were pure in preparing for life, but actually it led to death in the methods and the things which he had. And we are so often like Nicodemus. And here's my challenge for us as a church and for me as well. How often aren't we a renewal movement who gets caught in the moment and God moves in that sort of way? Or you say, let's do it like this. And we see God going. And then forever we box it. I was once part of a church where they had wonderful manuals, three of them, for church leadership. And they were beautiful. They're all written down, etc. cetera. But, but you know what? God gives a spirit for us to follow. And God moves on. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he doesn't give, this is exactly how I'm going to work with you every time. There was a, a, a hanky healer, as I like to call him, who I once saw on TV. And he read in the Bible that, you know, pray over the hanky, take it home, and lay it over the person, and they get well. Can God heal like that? Yes, he can. Has he healed like that? Yes, he has. Would he always heal like that? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But you see, that person was so stuck in the methodology that he'd lost the spirit of God speaking to him. And maybe God's saying, I want you here. Go this way, church. And we're going, no, I want the hanky. So we pray for the hanky, take the hanky home, and nothing happens. And then what do we say? Oh, well, maybe you don't have enough faith, or maybe you don't... Instead of opening ourselves up to hear what God is saying, hear no evil. No, we need to hear lots of good, and we need to be following, following what God has. And so the wind blows where it wants. That's what it says. And so let's hear the spirit in the text. Let's see God's spirit moving amongst us in what he does. And so Nicodemus always made me a bit sad at this point. He, you see, he doesn't respond to Jesus' challenge. And it's almost like the rich young ruler who goes away sad. And when I read this, I go, oh, you know, come on, Nicodemus. Why didn't you, why didn't you respond? Um, but hear this. At this point... If Nicodemus hadn't have had this conversation with Jesus, we wouldn't have had John 3.16, because that flew out of it. So, so that's beautiful in itself. Okay, so hear no evil. He needed to open his ears to come and hear God, which he came and he spoke to him. One day, I read this scripture, John 7, and I'll read it to you, starting at verse 45. Now, we had the, the Pharisees and the guys, they were trying to um, trap Jesus, and they asked people to bring him to, to them. And in verse 45, it says, Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? Because they wanted him to be brought to them. This is their response. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Now I can imagine they'd be sent on a mission and they'd say, Bring this guy to us. And they'd like listen to him and go, Surely not. <laughs> not that guy. <laughs> and then they go back to them and say, Well, where is he? Well, nobody ever spoke like him, but are you sure you got the right guy? I kind of can almost imagine that. And then they say, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Like rhetoric. No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Then it says this, listen here, in verse 50 of John 7. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And then they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So, enter Nicodemus a second time. And I see all's not lost. You see, he speaks out here. Old speak no evil has removed his hands, and he's spoken out. It's tentative. He doesn't stand up and say, hey, guys, I went and spoke to Jesus, and he said this, and I've been thinking this, and da-da-da. No, it wasn't that. It was a tentative comment. Guys, have we heard what he says? Are we applying the same rules to everybody? Have we actually listened to it? And so he opens his mouth. A chain of events. Now, the messages which have been preached in the last few months is also like this. Sometimes it's a chain of events. So where are we in that chain of events? Sometimes we feel condemned because we're not up here preaching or leading worship or doing... But where's God with you and where are you with God? Because if you're moving forward with God, like I read, God can steer us. And I see this with Nicodemus, and that's what I love about this little passage. Nicodemus, he's going, just, okay, let me... uh," And it says to me that this man has been thinking. He's not just opened his ears to Jesus and gone away... Uh, he's obviously been thinking, maybe having discussions with people somewhere along the line. And then when he needs to, he opens his mouth and he says, uh, okay, here we go. So this monkey, as it were, I see is opening up. This, this monkey is developing, which is just so exciting when I see that. But Jesus said to him, you won't see the kingdom of heaven unless you get a new heart. You need to be born again. So it's no good wandering around trying other things or trying... Unless you're born again or born from above, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And so that message goes out to us today. If you have not responded to God in faith and repentance, saying, I've opened my ears and I've heard your word. I'm now speaking to you. But you say, I need to be born again and put my trust. If we're not in that place, then the kingdom of heaven is not in your ambit. And so Jesus says to to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need to get a a new heart. So how do you know if somebody's got a new heart? How do you know if we've been born again? Well, you can see it. You see it in the fruit. You see it in the actions. You see it in a life transformed. You see it in in, um, habits which are broken. You see it in love that flows through somebody from God. You see that they've been born again. And that's how you can see it. And so I was preparing an Easter message once. And... um, When when I got to a passage, I got really excited. It was John chapter 19. Let me read this to you. Verse 38 to 40 says the following. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. When I saw that, I thought, yeah, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body and then they take him down, etc., etc. So, when I read that one, it suddenly dawned on me and I thought, wow, what's happened here? You see, here's a man who came secretly asking, who tentatively spoke, who is now coming publicly. to do something which people would have looked at going, "Whoa, be careful here. Don't don't play with this thing because this is you are going to be on the wrong side of the Sanhedrin, you're going to be on the wrong side of the Jewish rulers." Because usually an executed prisoner would have either been left there to, for the animals to eat them, or they would have been thrown in a pauper's grave, or a close relative could go and request the body, or they'd be if they were crucified, they might have been left up there as a sign So people walking past. They, you know, they could be seen as a sign. But Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, and the next day was the Sabbath and the Passover, and so he's crucified as a curse, and so the curse needed to be removed. And so here comes Joseph of Arimathea with Nicodemus to remove Jesus and asking permission. You see what he brought with him? He brought with him aloes and myrrh, but he brought with him 75 pounds. Now, in our real language, that's 34 kilos. That's a lot of stuff. You know, when, when Josh was coming home, I went to buy some Biltong at the Bluff for a holiday because that's like a special treat. And I thought, yeah, I'll buy a kilo of bultong. And I went out to this bag feeling like quite chuffed. It's a lot of biltong, you know. But that's one kilo. We buy dog food for our dogs, and once a month we buy these big like 20-kilo bags, and it kind of lasts for the month. And you carry it out from the car feeling like Superman. That's 20 kilos. He's bringing us 34 kilograms of stuff. That's, that's quite a bit. And, and as I read commentators and as I look back, the suggestion is that the, the amount of stuff that you brought to embalm the body was laid out. And this was enough to bury a king. This was the, what was commonly required for a royal burial, is what Nicodemus brought on the, on the day when he came to, to fetch his king. And that challenged me. That excited me when I saw it. I thought, here's a man. Blocked up out of good intent because he wanted to remain pure, not infected by outside influences. But the outside influences is what he needed to have. He needed Jesus to be speaking to him. He needed to open his ears, speak out, open his eyes so he could see. And he saw the kingdom clearly for a man who could bring enough spices to bury a king. Just think about it. He had to become a public follower. The Sanhedrin had crucified Jesus. And Nicodemus, who was part of that, had to step out from that group and publicly do otherwise. He had to give up his title and position. Do you think they would have said to him, oh, Nicodemus, come back again tomorrow. You've just buried the person we've crucified. You've gone and buried him like a royal burial. So next week, hey, but come back to us, we're back to business. No, of course not. He would have had to have left that. His title, his position is gone. Financially, I wonder what it would have meant to him in in the income that he would have got through that, just even bringing that gift to, to bury the king. So we have here a monkey who has become a man. This, to me, is the development of man. This is a monkey who has connected with God, who has not only seen the kingdom, has not only been impacted internally, but has been led to action. Public action. And that's my challenge for us today. When I read something like this, I look at it and I say, are we monkeying around with God's things, if I can put it like that? Are we playing around with holy things? Have we taken holy things and boxed and perverted them? Have we blocked ourselves off from God's spirit? You see, today's world is very much like Nicodemus's world as well. Today's world, there's a, particularly in our western area, there's this disconnect spiritual physicals and we're all about the physical and trying to get that right and so often we're ignoring the spiritual realm the spiritual world that's around us but God breaks in in a spiritual way have we closed off our channels of communication with God and then I ask this question and it fits in with the message that I think God has been speaking to us at different levels in the last few months where are we in our development and it's okay to be where you are if we're moving forward and seeking God. You hear that? It's okay. It's okay to feel inadequate because we're all inadequate. It's okay to feel that, that we're not where we should be because none of us are there. If we are seeking God in that place and moving forward because there's a chain of events, and maybe God will take us from here to here, but maybe it will be step by step by step. So are we inquiring of God? Are we opening our ears and saying, God, speak to me? What do you want to say to me? When we hear that, are we speaking out? Are we telling people about the hope that we have? Are we, are we testifying and speaking of what God has done in our lives? And then finally, or at the end of this process, as I look with Nicodemus, are we bringing extravagant royal gifts to God? Have we lost our titles? Are we being public and courageous in our fellowship? Because that's what God calls for us so easy to be the ceo or the captain or the boss or whatever out there that's a worldly title but have we lost that in the face of god god calls us to be his children god calls us to be his agents in the world god calls us just where we are and he wants to take us further step by step, by step. But are we seeking that? Are we open to that? Are we monkeying around with the things of God? Let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, we stand in your presence in awe. Creator of the universe, the God who spoke into being everything that we see around us. Wow. Wow. You're amazing. You're so big we just can't comprehend. Too big for our minds which you created to try and wrap around. And that's okay because we're not supposed to. We thank you that we can feel your presence because you have broken into our world. You came and sought us out. You died as we sang about, but you rose again as we celebrated this this morning. And you call us to you to be part of your kingdom. God, help us not to monkey around with your things. Help us to not block ourselves off from your influences, even if it's in in an attempt to stay pure, but to open our hearts, to open our eyes and our ears and our, our mouth to speak of your goodness, to hear of your goodness, and to see your kingdom. Father God, we, as a church, want to hear you speak to us. And when we hear you speak to us, give us the courage to to listen, and to obey. Thank you, God, that this church, your body called Sarepta, is called by you to this area. Thank you that we were not founded way back when just by chance. And we thank you that you've not forgotten about us, but you speak to us week in and week out. God, help us to listen. Help us to follow. Help us to be brave because we love you Help us to fall in love with you more and more, that we can't but want to do what you call us to do. And so, Father, I pray for each person here. Pray for every one of us that you will reveal your love and your guidance to us, that you help us to open our hearts to you. Father God, I pray that where people are in their spiritual journey, that we will step forward one step at a time. And Father, I pray if there are people here this morning who have not yet come to know you personally as their Savior, who have not come and, and repented before you, that this morning you will stir their hearts and you will draw them to you by your Spirit. Thank you, God, that you're alive and well. And thank you that we're on your team and we're part of your family and we can live day by day with you. We love you so much. Amen. Just to end off with, if maybe you are here this morning and you have never met God personally face to face, you've never repented and believed in him in faith, if that's you, please don't go home this afternoon or this morning without speaking to one of us, whether it's myself or somebody else. Just go up to them and say, I'd like to speak about that because God wants to meet you.